Hey guys, this is Adam from the podcast and you are listening to Quick Clips. Quick Clips are condensed versions from one of our previous podcast episodes, featuring some of the interesting things our guests had to say. If you want to hear the full episode, we'll have it in the show notes below. And with that, let's start the show. What was it like to go from being in the collision industry for so many years and then switching over to the insurance side? You know, I actually think that uh, the benefit of having worked in a collision repair um, on the collision repair side for so many years um, helped me as an adjuster uh, when I was settling claims. I um, I think there was only one time in 20 years that I couldn't get an agreed uh, figure with a, a shop, and it wasn't because, you know, he was a hard-headed or I didn't want to agree. It was a, a custom van, and you know, had a lot of different uh, designs and decals and, and tape stripes and, and paint on it. And I didn't want to agree to a number of, of paint hours and repair hours on it without knowing what it was actually going to take. So, um, you know, he did the job and came back with, you know, a, a list of what they had done to it and eventually wrote a supplement. But, you know, in, in 20 years, that was the only time that I never reached an agreed figure with a shop. And um, I think that having the perspective of a collision repair owner. Um, I'd been a manager in shop, so, you know, I dealt with insurance companies before as far as um, writing estimates and reaching a, a repair figures, agreed repair figures. I think that helped me in understanding what the shop was trying to accomplish when they were writing their estimate and what they wanted to get paid for. Uh, obviously, every insurance company's got their own um, guidelines along what they'll do and when they'll do it. Um, so it was easier for me to go to my supervisor and say, here's what I did, what I did, you know, when they would do the reinspections and say, you overwrote this or you shouldn't allow for that or, or whatever it happens to be. It made it easier for me to justify what I did. And, uh, nine times out of 10, they agreed with it. So, um, it was easier than being in a position where, you know, there's a lot of appraisers out there, and, you know, God bless them for getting into this business, but the reason they're in it is because they have good people skills, not because they have a lot of knowledge on the collision repair side. So, um, you know, it makes it difficult for them when they're training in this field. If they were a shoe salesman last week and, you know, this week they're out there settling losses uh, in the field, it makes it a little, little more difficult for them to do it than it did me. Do you think that there are insurance carriers out there that purposely make things very convoluted and very complex to avoid paying off for this. And I'm not trying to paint you into a corner or anything mm -hmm. like that. But again, I'm just trying to come from the viewpoint of, you know, the average person listening. I feel like it, it, it's unfortunate, but it's almost like we just have these two sides and they're just constantly at, mm -hmm. at war with each other and trying to figure out what the other side is thinking or seeing is an important lesson in figuring out how to work together. Yeah, right? I, I do think that there is a, a few carriers out there that do that. Um, I know that you know, during our, some of our quality inspections, we would ask a, a shop, well, why didn't you set this up and measure it? You're putting a rear body panel in it. Well, because the frame wasn't bent. I'm like, how do you know the frame wasn't bent? Well, it didn't look like it was bent. I said, well, did you measure it? No, I can't put it up on the machine and measure it because it's X company, you know, direct repair, and they won't pay me to set up and measure unless you know, the frame's bent, and I'm like, we well, can't tell the frame's bent if you don't set it up and measure it. So here's a thought. Set it up and measure it, and if it's bent, then you can write your estimate, and, you know, and they didn't they didn't see it that way. So, but, you know, they've told me a number, number of different shops have told me that it's not the same carrier all the time. It's, you know, multiple carriers that 
you know, we don't pay for that. We're on the direct repair program, and, and we can't put that in our estimate, you know, or they try to bury it somewhere else to get paid for it. I'm like, that's, you know, shouldn't be doing that. But, yeah, there, there's carriers out there. If you if you want the volume, um, you know, you'll see a lot of the folks on social media, about, about independent body shops, talking about all these bigger shops that are on direct repair programs because they get a lot of volume. But the quality of, of the repairs are, are probably not as good as the guy down the street that is struggling for every job he gets and he makes sure that it's done right first to, to last. Um, you know, we saw that in a number of shops that we went into um, where we were hired to go in and do, you know, in-process review, not, not after the fact. And we would do the uh, in-process review and stop, you know, technicians in the middle of the repair to make sure they were doing it properly, welding properly, using the right techniques and those kinds of things. Uh, we also ran into a lot of shops that had the same opinion that they did everything right and they didn't need our services. And the next thing you know, they've got, you know, some rec check um, outfit out there taking them to court and, and they wind up paying out big money or buying the car back. So um, too many people don't want to hear their baby is ugly. So they just don't want to hire anybody to come in and put some independent eyes on what they're doing. And they're not spending any time in the back half of their store to see what's going on anyway. So, you know, it's, I mean, it's a two-way lane. Insurance companies have their problems, but the shops have created their own problems as well. So jumping back a little bit to the technical college. Now, you know, these conversations and this navigation between insured um, insurance companies and the collision industry, is there anything that you're teaching in your class to kind of help these kids um, navigate that kind of stuff or um, what like what are you doing for them on that well we uh, we teach an estimating class here and, and since I have such a you know deep background in, in the insurance side of things um, I do it's eight weeks of estimating they get a lot of uh, you know insurance terminology they get you know um, negotiating how, how would you negotiate a claim those kinds of things um, and I try to give it to them from both sides, the shop and the insurance sides, so that they understand if they're going to leave here and go to work in a shop, um, they may be expected to write an estimate in a certain way, you know, as far as uh, what they're going to include in items uh, to get paid for for the shop. If you're going to go on the insurance side of the business, you may be told, you know, we don't pay for X and Y until we get a receipt for it or something like that. So um, we try to give them a pretty well-rounded view of, you know, that portion of it. So. Um, they, we go through the North Carolina insurance regs and those kinds of things. So um, I'm not sure that they're going to go out and retain a lot of that right off the bat, um, but at least they've been exposed to it. So if they get into that situation or they get a job offer from an insurance carrier, you know, at least now they have a little bit of foundational knowledge on what they're going to need to know and, and what they can and can't do legally when they're out there um, writing losses. Hey guys, Adam from the podcast. I hope you are enjoying today's episode. Just wanted to ask you a quick favor. If the show has brought you value in some way, would you mind giving us a review and sharing the show? It really helps the show get out there. Also, if you are looking to expand the services that your shop offers and you want to do more than collision work, you should really check out our company, Clarity Coat. Clarity Coat is a peelable paint that allows body shops to offer color changes cheaper than a repaint while still looking like real paint. You can also offer clear protection that has no edges and is sprayed instead of laid. Unlike vinyl and PPF, Clarity Coat can be sanded and polished, so you can give your customer the exact look that they are wanting. 
If you are looking to expand your shop services, go to claritycoat.com and fill out our become an installer form. All right, let's get back to the show. What was, um, what was that transition like going from, you know, um, being consultant to going to teacher? Like, it's a, it's how, a little how different. That? Yeah, it's, uh, and you would think uh, part of my, part of my work at, uh, the carrier that I worked for was a trainer, you know, for, for field, uh, adjusters and stuff. Um, you know, I've spent some time training and doing presentations and those totally different than teaching, totally different. Um, and probably because the folks that I was dealing with at the carrier had a background and had some, you know, a lot more foundational knowledge than, uh, the students that we're getting here. If we have, if we have 25 students in a, in a room, there's maybe two of them that, you know, have a, an interest in cars and have been working on them themselves. The majority of our students are all brand new to the industry. They're brand new to, you know, getting involved in this thing. It's not like when, when I grew up, you know, back before um, rocks were hard and sheep were scared. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, I could actually go out in the garage and work with my father. You know, I, I, you could work on a car back then in a garage. Um, you can't do that today, and kids don't have that opportunity to get exposed to um, that kind of, even the mechanical side of it, you know, the days of doing your own brakes or um, changing plugs in half these cars, now you got to jack the motor up to get the, the last plug out, so, um, you know, young people today don't have that uh, same opportunity. They do have the opportunity for the computer uh, piece of it, so, you know, when I said earlier that the technology was the biggest challenge, I think that's where we're going to see the biggest interest in the in the near future with students coming into this industry. We just uh, put a $25,000 ADAS system in, um, you know, and we're going to be going back to the state to build a um, ADAS certification for our students. So when they leave here, they may not go as a body tech. They may go in as a as an ADAS technician for diagnostics and repair, um, calibration, that kind of thing. So, uh, you know. From that perspective, I think it's going to get more students interested, and then they may find a, a niche in the refinish or the body department that they like. Um, they again, they leave here with uh, the opportunity to get both their steel and aluminum certifications in welding as well, which is very attractive to employers because it costs a lot of money for these students to um, once they leave here to go through all the ICAR training. So when I talked earlier about the ICAR collaboration that we have partnership with them. Uh, our students earn, I want to say it's pro level three refinish and non-structural, pro level one estimating, and pro level one structural, and again they have their aluminum and steel certs um, available for them. So, uh, you know, they can they can leave here with a lot of money and training that the, you know, in a prospective employer doesn't have to foot the bill for in the future. Um, and we twice a year have an event here. We just had one last week where we invite employers in from all over the country uh, to watch the students work for four hours. And then the next day they, uh, they're invited back to do interviews. And, you know, every one of the students that go through that get multiple interviews. And, and most of the time they get multiple job offers. So um, we've mm -hmm. been pretty fortunate with that. Uh, COVID put a little crimp in our style for a couple of years. But... Came right back this year and, um, you know, good and strong. We had a lot of offers for uh, multiple employers that want to bring in, you know, our students. So um, we've been fortunate in that, that respect. 
you might have answered this previously, but what are you seeing the reason why these kids are even joining the program in the first place? Is it because they're curious how that stuff works or is there some sort of, is there a commonality uh, as to why students join? I, I think it's more uh, an outreach, um, you know, from, from the outreach that we've done with high school counselors, um, you know, getting in front of some of the businesses, trying to get in front of the students themselves to educate them on the opportunities in this industry. Um, you know, a lot of the industry players are starting to talk more about, you know, needing, obviously they need new technicians. The, I think the average age of technicians has crept up now from 47 to in the 50s at, at some point, I think. Um, so they need to bring in new talent and whether it's, you know, new job training for people that have lost their, their career uh, and they are going to look for something different or younger students coming out of high school. Um, I think it's a mechanism of that. My next question is, you know, there's a, there's a, there's quite a few people that have come on and my personal experience in technical school as a diesel mechanic was that it didn't actually translate to real life. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I went to tech school for diesel mechanics and you learned a lot of theory. You learned, a, and we spent probably 50, 50, time in shop and in class right mm -hmm. and when when i got into the real world the very first thing i got and this could either come from a bad management standpoint you know whatever there's lots of yeah. ways to skin that fish um but it was like the first thing was they just tossed me on an engine rebuild and said rebuild it yeah. and i was like uh okay <laughs> you know it was just it was just immediately put you into the fire type of thing so what would you say to the guys listening that, you know, have had problems in the past with hiring kids straight out of college and they're like, God, it's, we literally just have to train them all over yeah. again. Well, and, and I think that originally that was a challenge for FTCC because when they opened the, the program up, they set the expectation that they were going to be delivering a text to the, to the industry. And, um, I don't, you could maybe go to a four year school if it were immersive and totally hands-on and do that. Um, first of all, I don't know any four-year schools in the country for collision repair. Uh, secondly, you know, to your point, we're giving these students a foundation, uh, foundational knowledge in all the facets of collision repair in a two-year period. So there is no way they're going to master any one concept in that two years because they only get, you know, a maximum of 16 weeks. We do eight-week sections. So if you do, you know, level one and level two refinish, that's only 16 weeks. You're not going to go in and start painting tri-stage colors by yourself in a booth without any help. So the employers, and I, I made sure that we reset that expectation here um, for the folks coming in looking at our students. You need to have some kind of a mentoring program within your four walls um, for a couple different reasons. First of all, you're going to have to train uh, entry-level techs. You, you, there aren't enough technicians leaving one shop to go to another shop to fill that gap that's you know that's there for technicians so you're going to have to have some kind of a training program whether that's a mentoring program a shadowing program something like that um, you can't just take an entry-level technician and throw them to the wolves for a couple reasons you'll wind up you know getting rid of them they'll wind up messing up a job or they'll get discouraged and leave the industry and that doesn't help anybody so um, a lot of the um, major players in the in the industry today, you know, the, the major, bigger shops have recognized that they need some kind of a talent pool 
Um, and it's, it's hard to get an ATEC to agree to have, you know, a couple of helpers because it could slow them down if they're on flat rate and you give them a couple of helpers and say, listen, I need you to train these guys up. And, you know, over a course of a year or so, they, they lose some money. You know, at some point it may not be attractive to them. So it's a balancing act. You have to have the right people, uh, you know, bringing these new folks in, getting them um, accurate acclimated to your culture in the in the shop uh, understanding how you do things in the shop um, you know in, in that way I think you could build success and you can uh, help these students along all right that does it for today's quick clips if this episode has brought you value would you mind giving us a review also if you would like to learn more about clarity coat and what it can do for your business please visit us at claritycoat.com see you on the next one